gather with you this morning in worship and um, as we just continue our Advent series and especially do want to say a word of welcome to um, anyone who's a guest with us. If you haven't been with us in worship before, we're so uh, glad to be able to see you, to have you uh, joining us this morning and just want to encourage you. uh, We are in a study in the book of uh, Matthew uh, from the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5 through 7 is where we are studying and we have been working our way through this text over the last uh, 15 weeks. This is the 15th sermon, and you might find yourself thinking, wow, that's a lot, so we should already be done. Um, we uh, have a practice here at City Church. We just work our way through books of the Bible, uh, sections of text. Um, and uh, the reason that we do that is because you don't need to hear from me. You don't need to hear from any man. We need the Word of God uh, to instruct us and to inform us and guide our lives. And so um, it's our practice um, to just allow God's Word uh, to teach us and instruct us and to work our way through that. Again, um, primarily, very often, it's through whole books. And um, in this season, we are kind of taking a a short chunk and, and, and looking very closely at the Sermon on the Mount. Um, What Jesus has done as a a, a catch you up, you can go back and listen to our podcast anywhere you find a podcast. You can find City Church Melissa and find our sermon series and you can go back and listen uh, during the week if you'd like to catch up. But Jesus began this teaching uh, in the very beginning of Matthew chapter 5 announcing his kingdom, that he had brought about his kingdom to bear and, and the kingdom of God had now arrived through him, and because of that, as uh, what is called the Beatitudes, what's referenced often in your Bibles, you might have heard of as the Beatitudes, Jesus gave these statements of blessing, saying that you are blessed, the Christian is blessed, supremely blessed, is what the word Beatitude means, if because of the arrival of the kingdom. And he described what we look like, who we are as Christians, with these statements of blessing. Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now it's odd and it's very interesting that as Jesus announces his kingdom, the kingdom of God being here, he gives us these statements that don't sound too much like blessing. Being poor, being mournful, grieving, all of these things don't sound, but it really helps to illustrate for us the fact that the kingdom of God is in some sense backwards or is upside down from what we might expect. So often we think of if we follow God and sometimes the world teaches us this and informs us or or tries to direct our hearts this way, that if we just follow God, that everything will be great, everything will be good. But Jesus announced that his kingdom had arrived and that to the world it might look as if things weren't going well because it's those who are poor in spirit who are going to receive the kingdom. It's those who mourn their sin who will be comforted. The meek who uh, humble themselves before God are those who shall inherit the earth. Those who hunger and thirst for a righteousness that they can't find from within themselves are the ones that will be satisfied. All these things directing our attention to the reality that the kingdom of God is not what is so often what the world would report or make we might think, be tempted to think that things should look like. No, the kingdom of God is inverted in a sense. And so Jesus issues this statement of blessing describing that his kingdom is here and this is what the people of God look like in his kingdom. He then said that he summarized this by saying that we, those who he has blessed, he has called into his kingdom, will be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. 
He describes, he says, this is who I've made you as Christians. This is how I've shaped my kingdom. And this is what the Christians look like, what the world filled with Christians look like. And this is the mission in a sense. This is the purpose that I did this. So that I might have a people who were blessed who would go out into the world as salt. Delaying and slowing down by, as it were, the decay and the brokenness, the death that is all around us. And the light of the world, going into the darkness of the world and bringing light to bear, the light of God. And so as he gets to that section there in verse 14, he then transitions and he begins to describe this intersection. Because Jesus has just described through all of that his kingdom. And yet he is speaking to an audience, a Jewish audience, sitting on a mountainside, hearing his words, who are thinking to themselves, well, I know about the kingdom of God, and everything that I know about the kingdom of God, I learned from the Old Testament, what we now refer to the Old Testament, from the law. So the people, his hearers, would have naturally thought to themselves, asked themselves the question, so you're telling me this is the kingdom of God, but everything that I know about the kingdom of God, I heard and learned from the law. That's the scriptures. That was the holy word of God at that moment in time. And Jesus, being God, knowing that that would be the question or the challenge, and even for us, we might find ourselves asking that same question, he then turns and transitions to say and teach them how his kingdom, how his words intersect with what they already knew, with living out in the world. You know, we are Christians and we know what we believe in and we have faith and we have all of these things, but it really begins to apply itself. The purpose of all of that knowledge and that heart transformation is that we might do something with it, that we might go out into the world and be a people for God with a purpose. Well, what is that supposed to look like? How are we to do that? And Jesus answers that question when he says, beginning in verse 17, I didn't come that you would throw out the law. That's not why I'm here. When I say that the kingdom of God is here and I announce all of these things and begin to describe what it looks like to be a Christian and to be someone who is a citizen of my kingdom, I don't tell you that so you can just throw all of that away. No, I tell you that because I tell you I've come to fulfill the law. Everything that you know about what God has said and described himself as and everything is fulfilled in me. And so Jesus puts himself at the center, that everything we know about God is through the lens now of Christ. And we see the world through Christ. And because of that, because of Christ's fulfillment of the law, we then can know how we are to live out this calling. And Jesus begins to work his way through the law, working his way through what his original hearers would have understood God had told them to do and be, and explain how to see that law through the lens of Christ. And when we see the law through the lens of Christ, we ultimately get to the heart of the law. We get to the heart of God. That's what is happening in the text where we are. And so this morning, we are sort of uh, a third of the way into this uh, journey. There's essentially uh, six statements that Jesus is giving and describing what this looks like and how Christians are salt and light. This is the real practical application, in a sense, of what Jesus has said. You are salt and light. You're salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. This is what it looks like. He began dealing with the commandment against murder, and he got to the heart. He said, you look at the law through the heart of the law, or through Christ, and you see the heart of the law. is not that you just shouldn't murder. 
is that you would not have anger towards someone. And the second commandment that he addressed was the, the, the law or the commandment against adultery. And Jesus says, as we look at that law through the lens of Christ, it's not just that you would not commit adultery, but that you would not look on anyone with lust. You would not covet anything that God doesn't intend to give you. That's how he describes. He gets to the heart of the matter. And see, this is what the Pharisees don't understand about the kingdom of God. Every time Jesus interacts with the Pharisees, they are addressing the law and they're bringing up the law. And his hearers, those people that are on the mountainside with him, guess what? Their religious leaders, their pastors of the day, were the Pharisees that had told them, these are all the things that you need to do to follow God. And what they missed was the heart of God. And they missed the heart of the law. You could describe it in this way. And as we think about this idea... I don't know if you've ever watched a movie or perhaps you've seen this in real life, but anytime you watch one of those movies or you watch something on TV and there's some sort of a court case and the criminal or the offender, whoever it is that is, uh, should be rightly being punished or, or, or taken to jail or any of those sorts of things, and he, he gets off on some sort of a technicality. You know, he was arrested and he was rightfully arrested and all of those sorts of things, except for in the movies, they didn't read him his Miranda rights. So he gets released because he wasn't arrested properly. Or in the court of law, they're going through some system and the attorney finds some sort of loophole in the law that, is, uh, that, that allows him to sort of get uh, removed and released from uh, whatever his offense was. How often in our own minds do we think, oh, that's wrong. We don't like that. We don't like it when somebody gets off just on a technicality. They, they should be punished. Well, in in, this, in this sort of an opposite way, the Pharisees, what they had done with the law is they had figured out a way to live just adhering to the technicalities of the law. I don't murder. Not hard to do, honestly, but okay. I don't murder. I haven't committed adultery. I haven't done these things. They're following the letter of the law, and they don't follow the heart of the law. In the same way that sort of there's this emotion in us that says, no, that's wrong when someone gets off on a technicality. When we see the law through the lens of Christ and we understand the heart of the law, what he is teaching us here through this sermon, we understand that it's not about following God on a technicality. How often do we sometimes are we tempted, though, to think that's what God desires of us, that we just adhere to all of the technical things, all of the law. We do this. We don't do that. And that's our perception of God. And God is saying, that's not my heart. It's not just following the law. Citizens of the kingdom of God have ultimately been given a new heart. The Bible says that when we come to faith in Christ, supernaturally, miraculously, we don't know exactly how this happened, but the Holy Spirit of God meets us and he takes out the heart of flesh that is anchored to this world and sees things in this world through the lens of just an earthly sort of matter. He takes out that heart and he replaces it with a heart of flesh. In that heart of flesh, the reason God's word describes it as flesh is it's tender. It's tender to the things of God. Some of you might know if you, I see a few of you that I know are excellent cooks in the room. And some of you understand that when you have a piece of meat, you want it to receive all of the goodness that you marinated in. It needs to be tender to receive those things. But if you don't handle the meat properly, there's a point where it's not going to get any of that goodness. That's too often where I fall. And so I have to work. I have to make sure that I handle things properly. So that, and in the same way, God intends that we would receive. He gives us a new heart that as we hear the law, as we hear his word, our hearts are tender to it. And we can receive that. 
That is what happens miraculously. And so God gives us these hearts that we can hear the law and not just follow the law, but we can become followers who follow the very heart of God. This is why, by the way, Paul, if you don't know Paul, he wrote a third of our New Testament. We have Jesus, and then very often after Jesus, if somebody's getting a tattoo, they're going to quote Paul. And so Paul is there, and that's our second guy. And so Paul, he said, I was a Pharisee among Pharisees. I was the greatest adherent to the law this planet has ever known, is essentially what he said. And then I considered all of that to be rubbish, to be worthless, to knowing Christ, because my heart was transformed. Here was somebody who knew the law. He knew how to be a Christian better than any one of us has ever done it. And he said, that's not what it's about. It's about the heart of God and following the heart of God. And so Jesus, or Paul says, I let go of that. And that's what happens when we meet Christ. So Jesus has been showing us how the Pharisees have taken the law and they've, in a sense, represented it in a certain way. And God gave the law, though, we need to know, for a completely different reason. The first reason that we know from Scripture that God gave us the law, gave us these instructive things, gave us that is at first to just show us our sin. If you have been with us over the last few weeks, you've heard as we began to address these issues, Jesus first, as I said, he dealt with the commandment, you shall not murder. And when we look at that and we think to ourselves, well, that's pretty easy, as I, uh, I hoped in this room, and I hope again that we don't uh, have anyone in this room that is murdered before. Um, but although even though we might not have anyone that has committed a murder before, Jesus says, let me tell you the heart. Look at the law through the lens of Christ. And the heart is that not even that you should not murder, but you should not have anger towards one another. And when we hear that and we understand that that is what the law demands, I just have to confess, as I did two weeks ago, condemned. I've been angry. Anger is something that happens in my heart, even with my new heart that is attentive to the things of God, that is sensitive to God's word, my flesh pulls against me and I have anger. And Jesus says, the heart of God says, if you've had anger towards another person, it's the same. It's no different at the heart level as murdering them. He then continued, and the next commandment that he dealt with was dealing with the commandment of adultery. And once again, he says, although it's not just about adultery, he says, no, if you, have not, if you have looked on a woman with lustful intent. And he deals with this issue of the heart. And so when we see the law and we understand what Jesus is saying, the first thing we know about the law is that it shows us our sinfulness. We are left looking at the law, recognizing we do not measure up. We don't meet the standard. And this is why... The law is not something for us to look down our noses at. It's not for us to say, I don't need that. I don't want to hear from that. It's not for us to condemn anything that we say that might be acting morally or in accordance with God's word. Oh, that's legalism. No, the law becomes a friend to us. And it becomes a friend to us because we're able to say, thank you, God's word. Thank you, commandment. Thank you, law, for informing me that I don't measure up. And so I can now go back to the Beatitudes and I can say, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Thank you for showing me, God, that I do not have a righteousness from myself, that I have to look to someone else for a righteousness that I don't possess on my own. The law tells us and informs us that we need to run to Jesus. 
when we fall short, when we acknowledge that, we go to Jesus. And so, in a sense, that is how the law becomes our friend. It also, though, finally teaches us how to live out being who Jesus called us to be. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. If you're a Christian today and you hear my voice, Jesus is saying to you, you are the salt of the earth. Now, you don't feel very salty today, perhaps in this moment. You're salty on the wrong side, by the way. I learned some of these terms this last week. Our young people inform me that salty means something else. All right. But you're not salty in the good way that God intends it to be in terms of being someone who slows down the decay of the world, who stands against some of just the evil and the spread of that. You are the light of the world. You are the person that you step into the conversation amongst friends, within your coworkers, in your classmates, wherever those relationships might be, and you bring the light of God to that place. That is who you are. That is your identity in Christ. Again, we battle against that. There's sometimes some pushback, but that if you are in Christ, that's who you are. How are you that? Jesus says you're someone who turns to him before you get that anger and murder in your heart. You're that person that turns to him when you're looking lustfully at something that God does not intend to give you. And you turn your eyes to Christ and you look to him. In the same way, as we get to this text in 33, we trust God with our words and we look to, look to God for the truth. This is what Jesus is dealing with. And so we become salt and light as we live out the law. We live out who Christ has called us to be. Now... As we pick up in verse 33, finally getting to where we are this morning, Jesus says, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your own head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Here Jesus is turning from the first two times where he's speaking of the law. He is addressing what we would know as commandments. We hear him say and address the law against murder. And we hear him address the law against adultery. And we know those two things to be of the Ten Commandments, of the Mosaic Law. But here he talks about, you have heard it said of those of old, you shall not swear falsely. And when we hear that, I, like you, you might find yourself thinking, well, I don't remember anything about swearing falsely in the Ten Commandments. I don't remember that in the law. What the Pharisees had done in this situation, this is the first time that Jesus is addressing a teaching of the Pharisees, which was not a direct quote from God's word. So what they would do, this is why, as we've talked about each week, you healed. Jesus is addressing the reality of that day that the teaching of God's word was something that was done orally. It wasn't written. God's word written in Hebrew. The readers and the hearers of this day spoke Aramaic. They couldn't look at God's word. They couldn't read it for themselves. And so the Pharisees, though, taking God's word, the Ten Commandments and the rest of the law, the first five books of the Bible, they had, in a sense, come up with a compilation and a lot of things that God's people were supposed to do. And they had told God's people that you were not supposed to swear falsely, as it says. 
You should not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. And as they had brought these things together, Jesus is bringing this up because it gets to the heart of the matter. Jesus is speaking again of the new heart that we have in Christ. And the new heart of Christ, the new heart that is Christ's, is controlled everything. That heart controls everything that we do. You know, as Christians today, we label our sins, right? We put them in some sort of order. I've done this, but that's sort of below that one. And my neighbor's done like three up above that one. So I'm good because he's kind of hosed. God will have plenty. We decide whether we've, how offensive we've been to God. And we hope that we are sort of our, we try to just sort of keep our sins on the sort of low hanging fruit, the little white lie level of sinfulness, But Jesus says that he is speaking here and what he's dealing with as he deals with this particular law is he's getting to the heart. It's easy for us. Just think of this. How easy in reality is it for us to keep ourselves? Those of you that have children, you might have felt like you've been right upon the line there. But by and large, in general, we aren't often... I would hope, tempted to the point of literally murdering someone. I'm talking about literal murder, not the metaphorical parental sense. How often have we stepped into those bounds of adultery? We think, I can prevent myself from that. But as we talked about last week, it's the heart of the matter. It's, we'll get as close as we can in anger, in lust, in covetousness, in all of these things. We will get right up on the line of sin. And Jesus, knowing that, he now addresses how we speak. When he is speaking of taking oaths, he's getting to the language that we use and how we talk. And so, in doing so, how much harder, as we think about those things, is it for us to control our tongues? James spent a lot of time speaking about controlling our tongues and how often we are tempted to allow our mouths which are a manifestation of what's in our hearts to come out and to lead us astray. And so that is what Jesus is dealing with when he comes to talking about taking oaths. You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Again, as I said, that's not a direct quote, but you take essentially the third commandment about not taking the Lord's name in vain. You mix in a couple things from Deuteronomy and Leviticus where God is talking about the way his people speak, the way his people make promises and commitments. And that's where this particular law that the Pharisees, what Jesus was quoting, had come from. It was a compilation, in a sense, of these issues. But all of that together talked of, it was, was addressing the heart The heart of the law was guarding against a heart that lies. Ultimately, what Jesus is dealing with, the reason that the Pharisees had implemented these laws was to to keep God's people, to protect God's people, to call God's people, to command God's people to not lie, to be truthful in their speech. See, the law teaches us how to live. And it teaches us how to live in accordance with God's word, but it also teaches us, because God's people are always a people of community, have a relationship with one another, it also teaches us how to live in community together. We know, it's very simple to see, we can't have community if we're going around murdering one another. Eventually there's only going to be one or two left. 
We can't have community and healthy community if there is adultery taking place amongst the family of God. In the same way, we can't have, we can't live together if we can't take each other at our word. If we aren't honest with one another. Lying is a big problem. And God knows our hearts, our temptation to lie. And so Jesus, in a sense, through this text, as we're going to see as we unpack it further, he's telling us we must stop it. We have to be people of truth. So here's another reason that the law was given. This law, as as Jesus begins to address, and it first speaks of taking oaths or swearing falsely. The idea of taking an oath and swearing are kind of in the similar deal. I swear on. We've all on the playground heard that phrase on, you know, I swear on my mother's grave or whatever kind of statement that I'm not going to, you know, steal that toy or, you know, all these various things that, that, you know, might have been said. You've heard these things before. But this idea of swearing on something or taking an oath, these are put together. And they're, in a sense, meaning the same thing. And what was happening with God's people was they were taking oaths and commitments and speaking against these things very trivially, very, on, on very simple matters. And the first thing that God and what Jesus is dealing with is that we would take oaths, that we would, take, we would swear on something, and we would realize that those things are very serious. You know, just imagine if... Every time you came over to my house to watch a game or to hang out for a time, you swore, I'm going to be there. I swear that I will be there. I make an oath that I will come to be there. I'll be at, God, I swear I will be at church on time. Sorry. Love you all. I make an oath. That I will be there. Or, or if you borrow my tool, hey, here's the post hole digger. I swear I will return it. I will take good care of it. I'll bring it back to you in, in its you know, proper condition. Or every time you turn in that TPS report at work, I promise and swear that it will be done fully and completely in the right way. Just, just imagine every time we turned around and we were making these oaths or these commitments as if they were just sort of flippant. Well, in some ways, God's people at this time, they were speaking like this. They were dealing with one another in this same way. And Jesus is saying to us, this is something that is reserved for seriousness. There is an oath of office. There is a vow that we make in marriage. These are the times when we make these types of commitments. And we use that type of language. And the reason is, is that God is concerned with the holiness of his people. He's concerned with our holiness. All of the law. Everything that Jesus has taught so far, if we take all of the Old Testament law, could be summarized in this way. I am the Lord your God. You will be holy because I am holy. And so God is concerned with the holiness of his people. And he's concerned when they're running around, running their mouth, saying things that they're not living up to, not speaking truthfully. And they're spreading lie upon lie upon lie, often in his name. This is a problem. This cannot happen. So the Pharisees, they taught you could just take an oath on whatever, and they reference Jesus references them taking an oath against heaven or on earth or on the throne of God or on Jerusalem. They would reference taking oaths on the altar or on uh, various on the temple, and they would they would swear they would take these oaths on this whatever this item was that they had reverence for. And Jesus is saying, you have to follow these things should be taken more seriously, and that we can't do that. 
The other problem that the Pharisees had and what Jesus is addressing, the reason that he references taking oaths on all of these things, is that the Pharisees had taught the people of God that they could take an oath and they could break the oath depending upon what they swore on. There was kind of, again, another hierarchy. And Jesus is saying all of that is unholy. The hierarchy, if we turn to Matthew uh, chapter uh, 23, we'll see this hierarchy reference where Jesus is issuing this strong rebuke of the Pharisees. The Pharisees have all these issues that Jesus is addressing, but in Matthew 23, verse 16, he gets specifically to this idea of taking an oath. He says, Woe to you, blind guides. By the way, Pharisees, blind leading the blind, not leading God's people to follow me, he's saying. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, If anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. So the Pharisees taught, if you took an oath or you swore on the temple, you could break that. Nothing, there's not accountability there. But if you swear on the gold of the temple, now you're accountable. Ridiculousness. Jesus says that. That's, that's ridiculous. You blind fools. Translation is that. That's ridiculous. He then says in verse 18, And you say, if someone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. Again, the altar, not a big deal if you break that. But what is placed on the altar, if you do that, now you're breaking that. Again, Jesus describes, 19, you blind men. For which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. So Jesus is addressing this situation. This is Matthew 23, by the way. We're speaking 20, uh, chapter 5 is where we are today. He is still dealing with this and talking to the Pharisees about this reality. And ultimately he says... In verse 37, let what you say simply be yes or no. Stop acting as if everything that you are doing is at the highest level of holiness and serving God. And just let your word simply be your word. Speak the truth. Don't speak lies. And don't try and cover your lies with the name of God. By attributing it or attaching it to something that is holy. This is what Jesus says back in verse 36. When you, or excuse me, um, yes, 36. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot t- make one hair white or black. He's saying to everything that you just referenced, everything is owned by God. God is over it all. The temple, the altar, Jerusalem, heaven, and earth. God is over all these things. And so when you try and speak whatever lie you want to speak and attribute it or attach it by making it seem more important by attaching God's name to it, you're doing it wrong. This is sin. Jesus is again getting to the heart of the matter. Because what do we know in our hearts? Think of ourselves. We want to believe whatever we believe. And whatever we might want to say about a particular situation, that God surely is endorsing that. That God surely is connected to that. We want that to be true because we don't like being wrong. We're too prideful to be wrong. We're too prideful to submit our lives to the word of God. And Jesus is getting to the heart of the issue saying, do not spread your lies in my name. Don't try and attach me to these things. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. 
speak the truth. Now, some have taught, and I just want to address this, that reading this and this uh, barring Jesus' word against oaths, some have interpreted this to believe that we as Christians should not take any oath. We should not take an oath before a court. We should not take an oath of office or any of these sorts of things. You might have heard of this before. Some Christian organizations, groups, or denominational type things have taught this. But as Dr. Lloyd-Jones, Lloyd-Jones says, um, is that in even that we are overemphasizing the letter of the law when we believe that and missing the heart. And in some sense, we're creating a new law. So whereas we've thrown out the law and we've said we cannot take an oath, that's what the law says, we've now created in its place a new law that we can't take oaths. And none of that is the heart. Again, what do we always try to do? Let me figure out what I'm supposed to do and let me believe and convince myself that that's what God says, rather than taking God at his word. Jesus simply says, let your yes be yes, your no be no, and reserve oaths, reserve that for the sacred things, those things of most importance. By the way, we have many times in the New Testament where people take oaths, where people make commitments. I would go even to Matthew chapter 26, and here Jesus is standing before Caiaphas and the temple where he is about to be put to death. He's about to be handed over to Pilate in this chapter. And right before this, where the Jewish council is trying to find something to condemn him with. And they bring these uh, uh, accusations against him. And they bring these charges against him. And this is what uh, the the priest says, beginning in verse, uh, verse 62. And the high priest stood up after charges have been made against Jesus. These accusations by supposed witnesses. Verse 62. The high priest stood up and said, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. In the name of God, he says, tell us if you are the Christ, the son of God. Jesus doesn't reply in that moment and say, I can't take an oath. I can't use God's name in that way. No, at the most critical point, perhaps in his earthly life, he says, you have said so. But I tell you from now on, you will not see the Son of Man. He is seated at the hand, right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Jesus himself takes an oath, basically using God's name, saying, In the name of God, I am the Son of God. And so this isn't a, a, a law against these things. Jesus is not concerned with us taking oaths in courts of law or oaths of office or making wedding vows and all of those sorts of things. What he's concerned with is little kids on the playground saying, I swear to God, who have been taught that by parents who say, I swear to God, this is what happened. I believe this and on and on. And we have taught this. This is what Jesus is is concerned with. He's concerned with his people being a people who speak the truth. And the truth is, The very word of God. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus says. You speak what I speak. And ultimately, what we have to understand, friends, is that when we, he calls us to let our yes be yes, and our no be no, as some translations would say. We don't need to feel some obscure pressure to secure our words with oaths. We can simply tell the truth. And when we invoke the name of God in the midst of trying to convince ourselves that whatever we might be saying is the truth or as we tell a lie, that is sin. 
And we also need to remember that our witness is at stake. Again, why is Jesus giving this instruction? You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. The salt of the earth and the light of the world does not speak untruthfully. We speak the truth. We proclaim the truth. And ultimately, the truth that we proclaim is Christ and Him crucified on behalf of us. Because I know how often my words fall short. How often anger resides in my heart. How often I have to look at the law, the commands of God, the holiness that He has called me to be and to live out, and I fall short. And it causes me to run to Jesus, who went to the cross, as we just read about, but after claiming and telling the world that He was the Son, He went to the cross to redeem us so that we no longer have to try and validate ourselves. Validate ourselves. We find our security. We find our hope that I am a child of God. I'm a child of God secured through the blood of Christ. I don't have to convince you of something else. I don't have to try and win you to my side, whatever it might be. I can rest in who I am because of who Jesus is and what he has done. And so now, the words of my mouth are called to be holy, are called to be salt and light, are called to proclaim His truth and His truth alone. Let everything else go. This is who we are called to be in Christ. Proclaimers of the truth. And we have to be cautious. When the world around us doesn't know that we are truthful, how will they ever know the truth that we proclaim? When they see us, As people who spread lies, whose people who gossip, who aren't guarding their hearts, aren't constantly aware of the words that they speak. How will they hear the truth when it comes ultimately the time for them to hear us? And guess what? That time is going to come for you and I. There's going to be a time when you're sitting in the coffee shop having a conversation with the friend or the neighbor or the loved one. And they're going to need to hear the truth. Will they believe or will they have heard you Proclaiming all various things and not hear the word of God when it is spoken. This is what we are called to be, salt and light. So let us be a people whose yes is yes and our no is no. Who proclaim the truth of Christ and let go of everything else. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we do pray that you would help us by your spirit to be a people of truth and let that truth be your word alone. Father, forgive us for how often I have just allowed my own desires to inform and instruct the words that I use. How often I've been allowed myself to, in some sense, be led astray from just anchoring myself to your word. And I pray now, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to be a people who are secured and anchored to your word alone. And help us to be a people of truth, who proclaim your truth. Who live that out faithfully. Would you just guard our hearts, Lord, against speaking lies about swearing falsely, in a sense, attributing your name to whatever it is we, we might desire. 
Lord Jesus, help us to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world that you have created us to be in a world that so desperately needs us. Help us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the preaching of God's Word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. at 2300 Vineyard Hill Lane, and we look forward to seeing you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God and the good of the city.